Today's reading is Luke chapter 19, verse 10 to 27. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, "'Sir, your mina has earned ten more.' "'Well done, my good servant,' his master replied. "'Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, "'take charge of ten cities.' "'The second came and said, "'Sir, your mina has earned five more.' "'His master answered, "'You take charge of five cities.' "'Then another servant came and said, "'Sir, here is your mina. "'I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth.' I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. If we've not met, my name's uh, Matt Fuller. And if you're joining us this morning, uh, sort of break our normal routine a little bit uh, at the start of January, so rather than work our way sort of progressively through books of the Bible, just thinking topically at the beginning of a new year, new decade, just uh, for three weeks, this is the last of three, of uh, making good use of time. So we've been thinking, don't waste your life through worry, don't waste your life through losing sight of eternity. Here, don't waste your life by neglecting your gifts. Let me do this in prayer, and then we'll uh, jump in. Our great God and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that he is, all that he has uh, done supremely, his death and resurrection on the cross. Thank you, of course, for his teaching, and that he wanted to leave us in no doubt about the best way to live here on earth. Help us to understand this parable rightly, so that we don't waste our lives but look forward to eternity and look forward to a great reward from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't quite remember who someone pinged on to me, uh, uh, a post uh, that someone had put on the internet that had gone viral. It was one of those things that you know, hundreds and thousands of people are looking at, and they say, oh, you'll like this, you'll find this interesting. It was a post by a middle-aged man on Reddit. Let me read it to you. Hi, my name's John. I need to get my life off my chest. 
I'm a 46-year-old banker, and I've been living my whole life the opposite of how I wanted. All my dreams, my passion, gone. In a steady nine-to-seven job for 26 years, I repeatedly chose the safe path for everything, and that changed who I was. Today, I found out that my wife has been cheating on me for the last 10 years. My son feels nothing for me. I realized that I missed my father's funeral for nothing. I didn't complete the novel I'd intended to. I didn't travel the world helping the homeless like I'd planned to. All these things I thought I knew to be a certainty about myself when I was in my early 20s. If my 20-year-old self met me today, I would punch myself in the face. My father died 10 years ago now. I remember getting calls from my mother telling me he was getting sicker. I was getting busier and I was on the verge of a big promotion, so I kept putting my visit off, hoping in my mind he'd hold on. He died. I got my promotion. When he died, I told myself, it didn't matter that I didn't see him. I was an atheist. What did it matter? How did I think that way? I rationalized everything. I made excuses all the time to put things off. And it all has led to one thing, nothing. I rationalized that financial security was the most important thing in life. I now know that it is most definitely not. I regret doing nothing with my energy when I had it. My passions, my youth, I've wasted. I regret letting my job take over my life. I regret being an awful husband and a terrible father. If you're reading this and you have your whole life ahead of you, please, don't leave your dreams for later. Please, do something with your life while you're young. Don't be like me. Golly. I mean, that's just tragic, isn't it? I mean, it's tragic on so many levels, the broken relationships. Partly I want to say it's tragic, you're 46. That is the prime of life. <laughs> I, I, I feel I'm just about to hit my peak soon as someone of uh, the same age. I mean, come on. What a I mean, there's a man who just says, oh, the last 26, 25 years, gone. What a waste of time. And here in Luke 19, Jesus will tell us, look, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life by neglecting your gifts. All day, one day, all of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll assess what we've done for him and he'll reward us or not. So we read this parable and the question you and I have to ask is, how can I use my life most profitably for the kingdom of Jesus? How can I use my life most profitably for the kingdom of Jesus? 
uh, one says the key to understanding the parable is, is uh, verse 11. That's the context we need. Uh, while they were listening to Jesus speaking, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Ah, problem. Everyone there in the time is thinking, uh, right, well, Jesus is the king. We get that. And he's just, a, it's about to happen. It's all about to happen now. And he tells this parable to say, no, no. Uh, I'm a bit like a king. Uh, I'm about to go now and then I'll come back. Uh, I'm going to die, I'll be uh, resurrected, I'll go to my Father in heaven, then I'll come back. That is, in one sense, the guts of the story. There's going to be a delay between my resurrection and my return, says Jesus. And here is what you're to do in that delay. I give you gifts and work to do. And when I return, I'll assess what you've done and reward you or not. So we'll break it like this. Uh, Jesus gives us gifts to put to work for him. Then secondly, he'll assess and reward what we've done. Uh, And then last, failure to use his gifts is a failure to know him. All right, so just those three. I think that's how the parable works. Jesus gives us gifts to put to work for him, 12 to 14. Jesus will assess and reward what we've done, verses 15 to 19. But then lastly, failure to use his gifts is a failure to know him. Let's work through them then. Here's a summary of the text. First then, verses 12 to 14. Jesus gives us gifts to put to work for him. Let me tell you a story, he says, verse 12. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minors, minors. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Okay. So I'm about to go to heaven, says Jesus, and then I'll return. Now, in this story, then, the, uh, the, the, the master, he gives 10 servants, 10 minors or minors, so one each. Why 10? Don't know, just a representative number, but not 12 is probably the most significant thing. I, this is not for the disciples. This is for any Christian believer. I give them all a gift. It's uh, a minor. And the footnote will tell you it's about three months' salary. So let's, I don't know what you want to call that. Let's call it £7,000, uh, roughly, on a national sort of wage, something like that, um, uh, pre-tax. So about seven k, something like that. And says, now put this money to work. Uh, it's a trading sort of verb. This money I've given you, go and put it to work. Go and make money with it, go and trade with it, go and do business with it, go and make a profit with it, any of those. Here's 7K, go make a profit, says the king. And he expects his servants to be busy in his absence. Well, I think that's not too hard to understand for you and for me. God has given us all talents and gifts and skills and abilities. And in this period between his resurrection and his return, we're to put them to good use. Doing what? Well, making a profit for him. What does that mean? Well, the context is verse 10. So while we had that read just before this story, uh, here is Jesus in Luke's gospel giving his mission statement. Uh, you know, if, you, if he was running a business, this is what would be above the front door. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So if he did have an office on, um, I don't know, Curzon Street, got lots of nice offices just around the corner, it'd be the kingdom of Jesus seeking and saving the lost. That would be written above the door. 
And uh, the CEO says, here's 7K, go and invest this 7K to hit our mission statement, seeking and saving the lost. So that's Jesus' point. In the delay then between his return, uh, between his resurrection and his return, he gives gifts and skills and abilities and opportunities to his followers and says, make a profit. Go and seek and save the lost. That's what I want you to be about until I return. Well, it's a cheerful story. Well, apart from verse 14 at this point. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, oh, we don't want this man to be our king. Now, in the flow of Luke's gospel, I think this is the bulk of the Jewish nation, represented by the Jewish religious leadership, who will eventually, a few chapters later, kill Jesus. They don't want him as their king. But that's just left hanging uh, at this point. Okay? Jesus gives us gifts and says, put them to work. Grow my kingdom. Well then, uh, secondly, verses 15 to 19, Jesus will assess and reward what we've done. So verse 15, he was made king. So the fact that most of his subjects at the time didn't want him, that's neither here nor there. He's made king, verse 15, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money. Why? In order to find out what they had gained with it. Jesus expects that we would have used what he's given us to gain. Not just done nothing, we'll get to him in a moment, but the gifts he's given us are for his gain, to seek and save the lost, to grow his kingdom. Well, verse 16, what had they done? Verse 16, the first one came and said, Sir, your mine has earned ten more. Great. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Well, that's great. Now, verse 16, I think it's striking. Look, sir, your miner has earned ten more. Not, sir, I've earned, I've earned ten with what you gave me. Not the focus. Do you see the focus? Not, well, look what I have achieved, but your gift has done this. It's a focus upon what Jesus has given him. So your 7K, let's call it that, has earned 70K more. Your gift has earned this. Great. Verse 17 is, I think, a little surprising. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. Right. Well, even in the sort of pomp or arrogance, depending which way you want to look at it, even in the, 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 the highest moments of the, of the square mile in the city, it don't work like that. Well done, good and faithful, whatever, fund manager. Uh, this year, you've made a profit of one million pounds for the bank. Well done. Have a reward of 10 million. It doesn't work like that. Uh, whatever you make for the bank, you'll get a percentage of it. You, you've made 70,000 pounds. Great. Have 10 cities. That's nuts. Uh, if that's the sort of bonus system, we're going bankrupt pretty soon around here in this company. But it's Jesus saying, yeah, what I want you to understand here is, I'll give you small responsibilities here on earth. Your reward is absolutely disproportionate. Wildly out of kilter with what you've achieved. 
what you'll do is like uh, a, a small child saying, you know, uh, it's been practicing all day long and, and dad or mum comes in in the evening and says, look what I can do. I've, I've learned to do this and sort of does sort of a roly-poly. Uh, but basically, it just consists of sort of shuffling on the floor and doesn't actually even do uh, 360, but sort of shuffles on the floor, but so they've, they've watched TV, so they sort of roll around on the floor a little bit and then go. <laughs> and the parents go, that's, that's the most wonderful thing we've ever seen. Um, which is a bit like that. You've made 70,000 pounds. Great, have 10 cities. Do you see the sort of disconnect between what's actually been achieved and the size of the reward? This is extravagantly generous, King. Well, verse 18, you get the same. Uh, the second came and said, Sir, your, your, your miners earned five more. His master answered, Well, you take care of five cities. Great, you made 35,000. Have five cities. Have Bristol and Exeter and whatever. Have them, and all the rents from them, and all the re incredibly disproportionate generosity. What have they done? Verse we're told, verse seventeen. The key thing is, you have been trustworthy. In a very small matter, you've been trustworthy. You did what you could. I don't want to be overly whimsical about it, but we're being taught here one day for Christians when we stand before the Lord Jesus and we'll shuffle forward and think, well, I didn't do that much. And um, the Lord Jesus will say, look, you, whatever it may be, you got up early every Sunday for a year. You rolled out of your bed an hour or two hours earlier than you desired to come and play music. You you ran the crash for two years. Yeah, it wasn't very much, was it, Jesus? No, no, but when you ran the crash for two years, you don't know that it allowed this parent and that parent to actually hear a sermon, which meant they kept going, and then they went on, and they did this. You, you, don't, you don't see all the connections. You don't know how important it was. You ran the crash for two years? Well done, and good and faithful servant. You get the island of Manhattan. <laughs> and in, in the new creation, that's really worth a lot of money. Or whatever. He's saying, whatever you do, it'll be rewarded beyond really what you deserve. Now look, just a couple of questions. Um, I thought we, we entered heaven by grace, not by performance. Yeah, that's not at stake here. Uh, for anyone, our place in heaven is down to Jesus' work, his death for our sins his gift of his righteousness. Our place in heaven is all down to Jesus' work. Our reward in heaven is contingent on what we do. There is a difference between those two. The Bible uses many, many, in the New Testament, many, many ways to motivate us to Christian living. One, live rightly because, well, because Jesus is wonderful. And God is a wonderful king to serve. And live rightly because he's done everything for you. He's got you into heaven when you don't deserve it. I mean, live rightly because you know then you'll do something of lasting value in eternity. But here, live rightly because he'll reward you. He will reward you. Even then, of course, we have to recognize that every good work we do, worthy of reward, 
has been prepared in advance for us by God. And we're dependent upon him for everything we achieve. So look, many have had this sort of experience growing up. I can think of, I don't know, something like about the age of nine or ten. My father saying to me, oh, look, if you wash the car, I'll give you a pound. Which seemed to me quite a good deal in those days. Um, but if you wash the car, I'll give you a pound. Or I'll give you, you know, five pounds if you wash the car. Uh, and then, of course, he would give me the bucket, and he would give me the detergent, and he would give me the sponge, and he would pull out the hose, and he would turn on the hose. And then I would go and sort of smear the car a little bit with the sponge and sort of just move the dirt from one panel to another panel. And he'd say, yeah, that's good. Just let me help you finish that one off. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, the whole process would go around the whole car and say, yeah, well done, well done, well done. Here's, here's your money. And you think, well, you know, I think even at the time I was slightly conscious, well, he'd given me the resources he repaired my half-baked work, and then he rewarded me for something that would have been much faster for him to have done on his own. And that's what God does. He doesn't need you and me, but he gives us resources and money and time and opportunities and says, in this life, use them to grow the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Use them to seek and save the lost. And if you're trustworthy in just these few things that I've given you, you will be rewarded utterly disproportionately. Our role, be trustworthy in using gifts for his kingdom. Another question, uh, look, sometimes people get a bit confused. Look, so we get different rewards in heaven. Is, is that right? Yes. We won't all have the same in heaven. And it's not just unique to, to this parable. You always want to be a little nervous when reading the Bible if you just take a detail from one story or parable Jesus takes and build a whole uh, doctrine upon it. But it'd be true throughout the New Testament. Just a few chapters earlier, Luke 14, uh, Jesus said much the sort of same thing. We're talking about dinner parties. And if you only invite people who can reciprocate, what good is that? Uh, but if you invite people and if you're generous to people who can never give you anything back, oh, you'll have a much greater reward in heaven, Luke 14. Or throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you have a choice. You either get your reward now, praise of men, or your reward in heaven, which will be different for different people. So yes, you and I will have different rewards in heaven. Uh, will we be jealous? Will we look upon whoever it may be and think, well, they got more than me? No. No, even in this life, when we're healthy, we can look at the success of others and say, good for you. Well done, you. I'm really pleased. You put in all that effort and you've been rewarded. We can do that even now, not always, sometimes we can be jealous and bitter. But we know that sense of, oh, oh good for you. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's entirely right, that you've received that, whatever it may be, that promotion, that, you know, I'm really pleased, really pleased for you. Um, in heaven, when there's no sin, of course we'll be delighted. We'll look around and think, oh, that's right, that's right. Uh, or as uh, one man, Jonathan Edwards, puts it, we'll all have boats in heaven, and they'll all be full. But some people have bigger boats. 
but we'll all be full. We'll all be satisfied. We'll all be joyful. And we look at other people's bigger boats and say, yeah, they deserve that. That's entirely right. So no jealousy as such. But here in Luke 19, Jesus is saying, look, make the best use of now, which is so very short. It's just a short time. And I've just given you a little responsibility but make the best use of now to secure a reward then. So Jesus will assess and reward what we've done. Verses 15 to 19. Uh, But that's not where the story ends. Uh, Unfortunately, or or wisely, in Jesus' teaching, the story ends verses 20 to 27. So let's look at this. Failure to use his gifts. Well, that's a failure to know him. Verse 20, then another servant came and said, sir, here's your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. Oh, uh, he's just sort of taken the 7K and hidden it in his sock drawer uh, and just thought, well, I'll just leave it there. And Why does he do this? Verse 21, I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you didn't put in and you reap what you didn't sow. Really? But we've just read what this master's like. He's not a hard man. He's ridiculously generous. That's what he's like. This third servant, he doesn't know what Jesus is like. He's not a hard master. He's wonderfully generous and rewards us beyond anything we deserve. He's not hard. But in this story, the master replies, verse 22, okay, well, let's, let's run with your sort of pattern of thinking. Uh, verse 22, I'll judge you by your own words, you wicked servants. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? And not just interest like we have in, in 2020, the sort of, you know, 0.00% interest on your, your bank account, and then you get a letter, I'm afraid to say, we've dropped your interest rate down to, I can't even read the zeros, there's 10 zeros now on this. You know, in the Roman Empire, it was pretty much standard, the, the rates of interest. There were always multiples of 12, 12, 24, 48% interest. That's, that's how the system worked in Rome. You think, oh, I'll get 12% interest now. I'd quite like 12% interest now. Bring back Caesar. Um, <laughs> new governor of the Bank of England, he'd be good. Uh, so even if you did that, Jesus is saying, why didn't you even do that? You just put my money in the bank. You'd have got 12, 24, whatever the rate was at the time, percent interest. I mean, that would have been something. You didn't do anything. You're absolutely idle. Did you not think I was coming back? What were you thinking? What utter laziness. And so what happens? Verse 24, he said to those standing by, well, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. Sir, they said he already has 10. He's, he's got plenty. He replied, look, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And then verse 27, we're back to the rebels who wanted the king gone. 
But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. In other words, look, the, the wicked Jewish leadership who in a couple of weeks' time are going to crucify me upon a cross, yeah, they will be, they will be judged for that. Now, one of the very unusual things in this parable is most parables of Jesus really only have three characters. They have a God figure, a positive example, and a negative example. Really, this kind of breaks down like this, but this one doesn't. So you've got the God figure, that's the master or the king. The positive example, that's Mr. Five Talents and Mr. Ten Talents. They're the positive example. You've got the very negative example, those who... The subjects who reject Jesus, those who at the end here are killed. But then you've got this third category. The servant who took his one minor and did nothing with it. What happens to him? Well, his minor is taken away and then we're not told. Sort of weird. Very odd for Jesus not to sort of close off that element of the story. Why? I can't be certain, but this is an unusual parable. I think Jesus is wanting to be both here an encouragement and a warning. I mean, almost half the story is spent upon the one servant with his one minor who does nothing with it, and we're not even told what happens to him really at the end. And Jesus is saying, oh, look, I will reward my faithful servants wildly, disproportionately. Don't be this guy. Don't be the guy who says, yeah, I follow Jesus. I even turn up at church. And I do nothing. Jesus, what happens to that guy? Don't be that guy. Don't be that woman. Okay. Let's step back and ask some questions then. A, a passage such as this, it makes you ask a number of questions. I mean, really, the simple one is, uh, how can I be most profitable for the kingdom of Jesus? I don't want to waste the time, the money, the resources, the opportunities I've got here and now. A, a reward. I like rewards. They're good. You know, I like them in financial terms. I like them in any terms. You know, bar of chocolate at the end of the day. Anything. I've easily won round. Um, rewards. I like them. Free coffee if I buy nine. Lovely. I'll have that as well. Um, you know, I like rewards. Okay. How could I be most profitable for the kingdom of Jesus? So other questions. How am I using my time? Many here are wonderful, I think. Caring for individuals, time when exhausted of an evening to prepare a Bible study for the next day, time coming to meetings, commuting across London to come to a meeting when you're exhausted to make sure the church is running, reading the Bible with another Christian who's younger than you, reading the Bible with someone who's not yet a, a Christian believer, serving at whatever it may be, little lambs, serving in crash, music, getting here early, wonderful. And I think this parable says, keep going. You are making lots of very wise decisions each and every week. And you'll be rewarded for what you do for the Lord Jesus. Keep going. Well done. 
it's great. Others, maybe not. And you need to hear this. Use your time to grow the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, you're wasting it. How am I using my money? Are we sitting on it? Are we letting it slip through our fingers? Oh, but then, you know, some of us are, are not so good. Others, wonderful. Going without the holidays they desire, living with shabby clothes, shabby furniture, to invest money for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And again, he'd say, well, I'll keep going. Keep going. I see it all. I see your seven pounds. It's not very much, is it, Jesus? Yeah, but if you're faithful with a little amount, you'll be rewarded wildly. I see it all, he says. Question, how am I using my talents? Am I using them to be known as a Christian, to speak up for Jesus, to stand up for belonging to him? Or, or am I using all the gifts that God has given me for me? And not using them for him. How can I be most profitable for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Now, for some here, a few, not the majority, but a some here, for some here, look, you have the gifts and the opportunity to serve the Lord in full-time Christian ministry. Why would you not? If that's what he's equipped you to do, why would you not? Not that if you get to those, for those of us who are in full-time ministry, not that we've made it and we've got it all right. You can easily be very idle, actually, in full-time Christian work. And some of us need to ask the question, how should I be using my time more wisely? And it's never too late. Dear John Jerryson, the guy I read at the, at the beginning, 46, year old, 46 years old, you think, mate, come on, you've got to, you know, you can't be certain but you may well have at least 30 years of really great opportunity to make good use of your life. He's not a Christian man, but it's never too late. I think often of um, a dear Australian couple who came over here uh, in their late 50s, uh, four years working in London, jobs brought them over. And uh, they were Christians when they arrived, but, um, you know not sort of, sort of super active, and, and when they left after four years, they said a number of things, but they said, look, we want to say thank you. They wrote to me, but to the church, we want to say thank you. Oh, we've been Christians all our lives, but have just bimbled through and ambled through and turned up and done nothing really. And now we'll go back home and we'll go to a church which will encourage us to use our gifts more wholeheartedly. And Christchurch Mayfair has given us at least a decade of useful service for the Lord. And we're so grateful. Well, they only started in their 60s. But they thought, phew, at least we've realized now we can be useful for a decade. How can I be most profitable for the kingdom of Jesus? question for each and every one of us and then just finally as we finish as a church collectively we have to ask that too how can our church how can Christ Church Mayfair be most useful for the kingdom of Jesus and actually I find that question a bit harder because I like church 
I like you. I like church as it is. And um, you think, oh, it's really hard work trying to move forward a building project. And really, some days you think, oh, really? Do we have to do this? But we want to be useful for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, know, you say goodbye to a gang that go off and plant a church in, in Haringey, and you think, oh, do we have to do it again? Do we have to start planning, you know, where might Nick and Nicole Ashton go and plant a church next? Do we have to do that? <sighs> yes, because we want to be useful and be as profitable as we can for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is using life wisely. Don't waste your life by neglecting your gifts. Martin Luther, who was pretty eccentric and strong in, in many, many things, he said, but I live with my calendar. I have a very easy calendar. There are only two days on it. Today and that day when Jesus returns. Very simple calendar I have. Today and that day. And here's how it works. That day determines what I do today. That's it. I think he exaggerates. But you see what he's saying? One day Jesus will return and he'll assess what we've done with the gifts he's given us and he'll reward us absurdly generously. We want to live for that day and allow it to shape this day. Let's pray together. Great God and Father, we thank you for the, for the richness of your word. You motivate us in so many different ways. We, we know that we give our lives to serving you because you're wonderful. We give our lives to serving you because Jesus has served us uh, and won eternity for us. But here, Father, uh, amongst many places in the scriptures, you encourage us by saying, we've got to live this life with an eye on eternity for the knowledge that our lives are assessed even as Christians, and you will reward us. Father, help us to look forward even more to that day by investing our lives in work that will endure for eternity. Amen.